one truth. everyone and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen and with me are... Evendra Hardwire. Jeff Kanata. And joining us today, uh, our guest today has made a series of critically acclaimed indie films including Brick and The Brothers Bloom, but he's fallen on some hard times. He wanted to join us on the show to promote his latest movie, which has only made $1.3 billion at the box office. It's a micro-budget mumblecore project called Star Wars Last Jedi. Ryan Johnson... Welcome back to the Slash Filmcast. How are you doing today, Ryan? <laughs> Hello, David. Nice. Oh, so good. Hey, Jeff. John Williams now. would be proud. Very, very, very Hello. happy to be back. Thank you for having me back here. It's great it's to exciting. Ha- it's great to have you back on. We are super excited, uh, and and thank you for joining us in the midst of your your busy schedule writing the new uh, Star Wars movies. Um, well, you're. Before we uh, get going, just want to mention you can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us your angry fan letters after this interview at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. And today, all we're going to be doing, we we had the opportunity to talk with Ryan. Uh, We were going to uh, do a normal episode this week, but we're like, forget about all that. We're just going to spend today geeking out about uh, Ryan Johnson and Star Wars Last Jedi in a spoiler-filled conversation. So uh, that is what we have in store for you. Let's get going. Ryan, uh, first of all, uh, congratulations on the four Oscar nominations that The Last Jedi received today. That must be very exciting. Oh, I am so proud of the team. It's, the, it's our sound guys, the effects guys, and Mr. John Williams. And I am, yeah, thank you. I'm so proud of them. They're, they did such amazing work. It is super cool. Uh, and also, I, before we get into kind of, uh, I, I want to hear about, your journey from Looper to Star Wars: Last Jedi. But before we get to that, I, I did want to mention that you recently went trending on Twitter uh, for using Jedi texts uh, to defend <laughs> ancient Jedi texts. A- ancient so cool, Jedi texts, man. Yeah, so, so uh, cool. a lot of people had some beef with. Uh, <laughs> You're Lu- kidding? What <laughs> on the internet? A lot of people had some beef with uh, Luke Skywalker, and again, we're spoiling Last Jedi, but Luke Skywalker, at the end of Star Wars Last Jedi, uses Force Projection uh, to do battle with Kylo Ren, and uh, a lot of people were saying, well, you just invented this, you made this up, like, well, this was never set up, and on Twitter, you took those people down by showing a series of images where you you take out some some canonical texts. And show that force projection was a thing long before Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Um, well, yeah, you don't. I mean, and and uh, it's interesting. I don't know. So I this is an absolutely a true story. When I was living up in San Francisco um, for a few months, trying to you know breaking the breaking the story for oh, I better turn my email program off, uh, or I could just read my email to you guys. Please what? go ahead. That'd be great. Yeah. Uh, quit. Good. Uh, so when I was up, uh, going into Lucasfilm a few times a week and breaking the story for it, it, I was in the middle of trying to crack this whole thing with Luke and, and the ending. And, um, I hadn't quite got it yet, but I had this notion of, of 
would end up being kind of the the you know the the projection thing that he does and um but i wasn't sure about it i was like ah is this okay i swear to god this happened i was sitting in the lobby at lucasfilm like waiting for kiri to come out because i'd forgotten my badge that day or something and that book was sitting on uh the coffee table there in the lobby and i picked it up and I just started thumbing through it, and I saw, ooh, advanced force powers. Maybe they're, And I turned to it, and it described exactly what you saw. I landed on that, and it was like a god, a god ray came down or something. <laughs> but for me, it was like showing it was because, you know, it, it, showing it is less about, see, this is a canonical thing. And it's more about we're always making stuff up in this universe, you know, and they somebody made this up before and so it's it's you know as long as star wars have been around people have been adding to it but anyway it was i was i thought oh this I, I hadn't thought about the book for a while and then the other day i literally just saw it on my shelf and i thought oh this would be a fun thing to <laughs> this would be a fun way to drag someone on the internet publicly so so it was a thing where you actually read it in a book and you're like this would be cool in the film and and that the text well like i said it would the film. It was this bizarre kind of like, because I had already sort of had the idea for it or something like it. And I was like, ah, maybe he like kind of, you know, because I wanted him to kind of, you know, hand Kylo his lunch at the end. But I didn't know how to do that without a physical confrontation that would be satisfying. And so that they both would come, you know, that obviously Kylo would survive. And so... I had kind of like the first inkling of the idea of it. But then when I read that, I was like, oh, not only can I do this, but it kind of solidified, oh, it could be this. Um, so, yeah, anyway, it was a fun little little blast from the past. Gotcha. Nice. Uh, yeah. Very cool. Uh, so I was doing some research for this uh, interview because, you know, I, I come uh, I come prepared for these things, Ryan. And I was listening You're to your – professional, Dave. I'm professional. Yeah. Professional. I was listening <laughs> – Listening to your interview on Jesse Thorne's Bullseye, uh, and you were talking. Oh, I had such a good time. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great interview, and a big fan of Jesse Thorne. Such a sweet guy. Yeah, uh, and he, you were talking about how you got the offer uh, to. Yeah, by the way, just talk talk about a professional podcast host Jesse. He's, <laughs> he's got his stuff. He's got his shit together. Mm. He's just so solid. Mm-hmm. It's just nice when that happens. Anyway, go ahead, Dave. <laughs> okay. Yeah, th- no, thanks. I, I, I seek to emulate that, you know, Ryan. Um, anyway. Yeah, you uh, should. <laughs> <laughs> no. So I heard, on, I, I heard on Bullseye that uh, you, you talked about the story of how Kathleen Kennedy offered you the job um, and that you did not see it coming. Uh, and that you had had some general meetings with her. And I, I guess, like, I, I want to ask you about the time period before you got the offer, right? You had made Looper right. huge, huge success. And, uh, and I, like, where did you see your career going at that point? Like, what did you want to do? Was, were you intent on, like, yeah. oh, I, the next thing I want to make is a Star Wars film? Or did you have, like, a number of projects in the works? Like, what, where were things before you got the offer? Is there, and, a, is there a half-finished script in a Star Wars-shaped <laughs> trash can right now <laughs> <laughs> uh well no it's yeah it's interesting um i mean no i mean i had i never in a i mean this is, this is really true that i never in a thousand years thought i would ever be up for a star wars movie that just wasn't wasn't even in the back of my mind so um so it's not like i was thinking that no i i just you know i coming out of looper i thought well okay it's time to write uh the next one and um i had this kind of really cool sci-fi concept that I got really excited about um, for this uh, for this movie. And so 
I thought, oh, this is such a cool concept. I, I bet I can really dig into this. I'm really excited about it. And basically, I ended up like, it's kind of embarrassing, but I ended up spending a lot of time. I spent over a year trying to crack this script. Um, and eventually, I, I had the concept for it, but I realized I kind of put the, looking back, I realized I kind of put the cart before the horse. Like I was sort of seduced by what was cool about the idea, but I never really had the heart of it and like what it was actually about and what actually made it tick. And, um, and so I spent a lot of time kind of plugging away on it and I had a great, it it essentially led to having like, you know, I was right. I was trying to get, make this thing work, but I essentially had like a year and a half off, which was, which was really nice. Like had a great year and a half basically, but, but the script I eventually and much too late realized this isn't working. And so after Uh, you feel comfortable sharing the premise of the script or. Uh, I don't know. I might. Yeah, I don't know if I want to pitch the whole thing. I, I might. I'm still hoping that I'll mm. wake up in the middle of the night and say, "Oh, aha! It's this," mm-hmm. and gotcha. the premise is really specific. So I'll, I'll, I'll maybe at some point when I when I totally give up on it, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll tell you about. <laughs> but, it. But, um, so you're working on it, and things weren't going well, and you were questioning your your whole life decisions that led you to this point, basically. Uh, <laughs> yeah, kind of. You know, it's that. You know, it's like Barden Fink a little bit, but not really because I was. I was having a great time that year and it was nice to just kind of, you know, um, kind of have like a year where I'm kind of working on this thing, but also reading books and just watching movies and kind of filling the tank bank back up. And especially looking back in retrospect, given that seeing now what I was about to go into, it was really nice to have, have that time to breathe. But anyway, much too late, I realized this isn't going anywhere. And so I, um, put it aside and I came up with another idea and just started working on that. And that's when, um, this meeting with, with Kathy came up. And, uh, like I said, I had had general meetings with her a few times before. And I thought that I was walking into another one of those general meetings and she kind of dropped the bomb on me. Yeah. So, um, uh, so just some context, Kathleen Kennedy, kind of the, uh, the keeper of the flame for star Wars, uh, the, the driving force for Star Wars, uh, overseer, as it were. And uh, for those who don't know, uh, Ryan, what is a general meeting? Like, what happens at a general meeting between you and uh, a, a studio head? So general meetings, and it can be with a studio head, it can be with a creative exec, it can be with, you know, and it, it's gener- it's it's this thing that happens where you, you go, it's a really common thing, um, where you basically, it's like a getting to know you meeting. It's weirdly kind of like a first date. You kind of just <laughs> go in their office. It lasts about, you know, um, uh, I don't know. It lasts 20 minutes, half an hour. You go and you just sit down, there's small talk. And then there's just general talk about, well, what are you working on? And then kind of feeling out whether they have anything interesting that you'd want to work, work on together with them. And, um, it's it's uh we call them or I I don't know my friends and I call them water bottle meetings because you always can would you like some water sure and then you always have a half finished bottle of water like <laughs> Arrowhead or something at the end of it that the end they end up piling up in your car basically mm. um these em- half empty bottles so it was uh it's a really common thing and I was I had done that a few times with Kathy which for me I was just really excited to be sitting down and meeting her she's such a you know she's a legendary producer and she produced i mean she had worked with spielberg forever and amblin and going all the way back to you know et and raiders and um i walk in her and also her husband frank marshall 
um, obviously is a legendary producer too. And he, you know, he worked with Bogdanovich on, you know, Paper Moon and uh, where he worked with, you know, Orson Welles on, on, uh, uh, other side of the wind like his final movie i mean he has deep deep roots and stuff that i i love and so i walk in their office and there's all there's pictures of frank on the set of paper like on the location shooting paper moon and there's pictures of kathy like you know from back in the day it was really exciting and she was so cool and we got along well but i never like i said i it um you know it wasn't even in uh you know the back of the back of my head at that point that uh she would actually offer me one. Do you have any speculation as to what you could have said in one of these meetings that would cause someone to say, here's $200 million and the keys to the biggest <laughs> franchise of all time? I should have written down what I said. <laughs> 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 if it's repeatable, I should, I should have, yeah, written that phrase down. Yeah. No, I think it was, I think it was just, you know, I think it was Looper and I think she was, um, you know, I, I think she, she was, she, I don't know. I honestly, man, I have, I have no idea uh, to this day. It's, as ba- it's, it's almost as baffling to me as it probably is to you as to why she asked me. Yeah. I mean, it. When, I, when it was I, announced, I was like, what the F are these guys thinking? You know, you um, even if, even if you hadn't uh, any inkling that she was going to offer it to you, had there been any point, even in your childhood and growing up that you had fantasized about, making oh, a star wars film and my god i mean anyone i think who's sure. ever you know grown up with this and had their hands on the camera you know that's the first thing you fantasize literally the first thing that i, I remember my dad god i must have been um i was really really young i must have been in uh you know, I don't know third or fourth grade and my dad brought home one of those really old style video cameras it was brand new at the time that you have to have to actually hook up to a VCR, you know? Yeah. And, um, the first thing I did was I took it and I held it down at like knee height and ran it through the space between the coffee table and the couch. <laughs> and I played it back and I was like, Oh my God, that looks exactly like the trench run. Mm-hmm. So it's awesome. literally, I mean, no, but I think any, any of us, you know, who, who make movies, who grew up with star Wars, it's, um, it's impossible not to, but but you also, as an adult, you you never think you will. So so does that make it harder or easier when you're sitting down in front of that blank page and you're going to start writing a Star Wars film? Do, I, do you have all these ideas in your head of what you always imagined you might do, or is it intimidating to live up to that childhood dream? It's well, it's intimidating when you're before you've. I can I, I just speak from my own experience. It was intimidating before I started. So you know when I got the job and especially when it like broke on the internet and everyone started talking about it and I, I was like oh my god I I'm, I guess I'm actually doing this um it was really scary and uh but then when I sat down to write um it it wasn't it was it's actually the most fun I've ever had writing and it was uh I guess maybe because it wasn't really it was a blank page but I had starting point because it was a second movie i had the force awakens and these characters that i loved as a starting point and i did come in and like you know when kathy and i after she asked me if i'd be interested in it we had a series of conversations and basically my pitch was look the first you know first movie is like the introduction second movie is training and by training i mean we take each of these characters and we really test their metal and so i said that would be in my approach to it it's a very character-based approach where you know, we just start with each one of these characters we we care about and figure out 
what the next step, what the hardest next step is for each of them. And, um, and so having that trailhead to go from, uh, it wasn't, it was also nice because that gives you a direction as opposed to just having a big cloud of childhood fantasies of <laughs> wouldn't it be cool to see the Falcon do this or that, that mm. you could get lost in. It wasn't like that. You had a specific purpose you were working towards. You had a set of characters you knew you were going to be working towards on that purpose. It actually, um, yeah, once I actually started doing the work, I found it, 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 um, it felt really comfortable. And then all the childhood fantasy stuff is just fuel for the fire. Then it, it just helps, you know, it, it doesn't add more pressure. It's just like this reservoir of, um, your connection to this world that you're, uh, building a story in. Uh, at least that's what I found. Uh, I know Devendra, we, you know, we were talking about, uh, this interview yesterday, we were kind of chatting mm-hmm. over what we had talked about. And, and, uh, I know Devendra had mentioned like, what, w- what happened after you left that Kathleen Kennedy meeting? Like, did you, did yeah. you have to like sit down and take a yeah. walk? You know, like what, I, you know, what was I your reaction to that? Rem- yeah, I don't rem- You know what? I left it and you know where I had to go to right after the meeting. Cause I had the rest of my afternoon scheduled. Cause I had no idea that this was going to happen. <laughs> I remember really distinctly, um, uh, cause I was, I would, you know, I was friends even at that time, but this is way before rogue one with Gareth. And I went to a rough cut screening of Godzilla wow. <laughs> right after it. Wow. And so I feel really bad because that whole screening, I was staring at Godzilla, the Godzilla movie and obviously not thinking about that movie <laughs> at all. And so at the end, I don't think I had any useful notes for that. Yeah. I mean, you uh, were contemplating this gigantic monster, uh, <laughs> that was going to be incredibly intimidating instead of exactly. Godzilla, right? <laughs> let, and I came out of there and I said, let them fight. Let's do it. <laughs> so, so as you were weighing the decision of whether or not to take on uh, this life-altering opportunity, was there ever a point at which you were like, no, I, I'm not going to do this? Like, uh, or, or what were kind of the, the pros and cons in your mind, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, well, I... You know, I, I had, I mean, in the meeting, I think that it was, I think, you know, Kathy expect, kind of expected I would probably give a yes in the room. And I, and I didn't, I gave it, I asked if I could think about it. Um, oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I still don't know how I did that. <laughs> I, uh, I, I guess I'm very lucky that my saying that. You know, I think she found it amusing as opposed to (laughs) insulting. So thank God. Uh, But I, yeah. What was the time frame on that? Had had the Force Awakens hit theaters already? Oh no, no, no. So this was um, no. They they were uh, just they were still prepping the Force Awakens. So they had for it, but they hadn't even started shooting yet. Wow. So. so obviously, that was one of the first things I did was was read the script for The Force Awakens. But there was no footage yet even when I read the script. They hadn't even started wow. shooting. Um, and uh, yeah, this is this is jumping ahead a little. I'll come back to the question. But I, I was when I was writing, they were when I was writing the script, they were shooting The Force Awakens. So wow. I didn't have, I didn't see a cut of it until I was the script was basically done. Um, I was watching dailies and I was going off of. Um, the screenplay. Um, it's crazy uh, that you were writing. I, I don't mean to diverge too far yeah. into this, but it was you were writing, and you didn't really cast these actors, and you hadn't even really seen them too much in their performances. I mean, uh, several of these actors are fairly unknown, specifically, yeah. you know, Daisy Ridley. 
Yeah. Uh, and yet here you are writing a script that has already been cast for you in, in, in a large part. Oh, it was so wonderful. <laughs> if you can get jj abrams to cast a movie yeah writing, do it uh no it's it i did well you know while i was writing it though i was watching the dailies and so i did get to see quite a lot of um of the performances and uh which was wonderful it was great I, i'm really thankful that it, the timing worked out like that both so that i could write based on seeing Daisy and John and Adam and Oscar and everybody in their roles. Um, but also I'm really, really thankful that I wrote, I wrote it, you know, before the movie came out that I was writing entirely based on my personal reaction to the script and to what I was seeing and not based on, you know, uh, I don't know, some kind of perception of, 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 of the world's reaction to it, I guess. I think that made it, um, you know, that, that made it more personal in terms of, uh, in terms of the launching points I chose for, for this story. I can only hope that that will be the same case for episode nine. I will, I will just put that out there in the ether and I will, I hope that's the, <laughs> that's the case that's happening now too. We, I have such a, I'm sure, I'm sure it is. Yeah. We put the call out for questions, uh, yesterday, uh, on Twitter and, uh, Jermaine Lucier asked if the feedback from Force Awakens in any way informed or changed the script for Last Jedi. It sounds like what you're saying is mostly no, right? Or completely no. Entirely. No, entirely yeah. no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, which was, I, again, I, I think that's a really, really good thing. I think that, you know, um, just being able to come at it storytelling wise from a very pure place of what did this make me feel? What do I, what do I see in these characters and what do I think is the next step of it? Um, but it also, you know, I mean, just to, just to say it, it does also mean that um, uh, obviously a lot of the things that ended up taking hold in the fan community in terms of theories and who is Snoke, who are Ray's parents and the fever pitch that those rose to i you know i obviously knew those were questions you had coming out of force awakens I, I didn't but i i didn't have like the weight of the fan expectation of what the payoff for those questions would be in my head and um which again i think is a good thing and it also it's you know and i i feel anyone who is you know disappointed which i totally get that it the questions didn't feel like they kind of didn't get addressed in the way they wanted them to. Like, I know that how much it means to you with a story you care about to come up with these ideas of what it could be and to have what comes out be different than that. I know that doesn't, you know, that never feels great. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is I, that the timing of it was such that it's not like I was aware of those expectations and was kind of, you know, trying to kind of purposefully poke people in the eye, I was writing kind of based on my honest gut reaction to what the most powerful uh, turn of events would be to those, you know, to, to those questions. Do you think you would anyway, have done it differently? If like, if you had known that people had created all these like vast lineages of Snoke and stuff, would you have, I mean, probably not when we, we can get into it as, as we talk about it. But I mean, there's a reason which is with each one of those questions, I ended up in the place that I am. Right. Up. And um, I mean, Snoke is a little different than uh, honestly, I mean, Ray's parentage. It's very obviously a question in the force awakens and it's something that we've, 
we definitely play to in The Last Jedi. Snoke's heritage, I'll, I'll be honest, I had no idea. Like, where he comes from, I had no idea that that was going to mm-hmm. be a thing to mm. the degree that it was. Um, but the truth is, even if it, even if I had known that, um, and again, not to, not to, you know, put down any notion of that being interesting, I think it's very interesting. It just, it didn't have relevance to this story. And ultimately... Even if I had reacted to it and put it in, I'm sure it would have gotten cut out at some point, whether it's in the writing or in the editing, just because it, it doesn't, you know, it's not something that's important to any of our main characters. It reminded me um, of that scene in Looper with uh, the, you know, the famous diner scene mm. where it's like, well, we could talk about time travel and I could, you know, pull out all the straws and everything. <laughs> but it, I think it's it's very much your sensibility which is like it, that's not the important part like where snoke is from right. is not the important part right it's the it's what he means to these characters that and you know it's, yeah it's, yeah it's yeah it's let's talk yeah it's let's talk about what 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 matters i suppose and mm-hmm. um and it's also you know you, you just start dramatically shaping something and you realize you know especially with a movie like this you you end up kind of carving everything down to the bone in terms of the bare, especially when it comes to backstory, in terms of the bare necessity of what you need to spend, you know, your time focusing on, and to to get to make each one of these scenes as focused as possible on the dramatic intent, and I, I uh, yeah, and and that's just not something that. Uh, like I'm, I'm sure it would have gotten cut at some point, even if I had ran. Mm. Just so you know, Dave, all my questions are about Looper. Going back to to that question, I, I imagine the the question I asked about like what what did you do after the meeting and and how did you weigh yeah. Oh, yeah. the yeah, cost yeah, yeah. of doing it? Like because because I imagine that accepting this gig comes with a lot of benefits, um, but it also means that. This is something that's going to dominate your life for at least the next few years, and probably uh, people will—I uh, don't know—both uh, love you and also complain to you for the next few decades, like probably forever, <laughs> right? Uh, and so, how did you kind of weigh the, I'll, the I'll pros die and cons at some of it? Point. At some point, David, I'll die, so it's not going to be forever. <laughs> don't worry. Uh, well, no, I, I exactly. I mean, that's that's very well put, and also. And this is probably why I just had the gut reaction of saying, can I think about it? I mean, you know, I had, it's not like I was on like a lists or like, you know, a level lists or something for projects, but I, because Looper was like a higher level indie movie that had done okay, that had the sci-fi thing. I had been approached with like franchise stuff um, in the few years I was writing and I just got very used to uh saying no to it and it just in my head i just had the path of now i'm just gonna do my own stuff i'm just gonna write and direct my own original stuff and and stay kind of close to the ground so that had just been the path i was on and i didn't see anything changing that um but it's it's you know star wars yeah (laughs) and not just in terms of it's like the biggest thing but it it was it was my whole world when I was a kid. It was you know the very and I, this is I'm not this is nothing special. I think a lot of us who are fans have had this experience, but it, it was it's hard to overstate the importance in terms of um, the foundations of your of my creative life in terms of Star Wars, and so it just means something very important to me and so it was something that kind of stopped me in my tracks and i said i i have to think about this right. um and I, I thought i would go home and 
and make a list of pros and cons, like you're saying. Um, but what I did was I went home and for several nights I, I didn't, I didn't sleep really. I stayed up all night. And do you know when you, do you know, like when you're sick and you realize I need to eat pineapple, you know, your body has like a really specific, like, you know, like yeah. need that it communicates to you. I stayed up all night watching, uh, documentaries about mountain climber disasters. Mm. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Much like, I can't remember the name of them now. They all have vaguely, similar names it's all like one of my know, favorite ones like, is, is touching the void have you seen touching i watched the touching the void oh yeah of course love I love that yeah, movie yeah. love that movie yeah yeah but there's a whole you go down and then i just basically went on the if you enjoy touching the void you'll enjoy it. and i just clicked <laughs> on every single one of them and stayed up all night watching these um i, I think we're forgetting about cliffhanger here everyone <laughs> i did no it was all docs it was all docs I all docs yeah. So yeah, why um why when you were evaluating whether you should direct Star Trek, were you watching movies Star about people Wars. trying to surmount a massive obstacle and failing horribly? David, yeah, you said catching, Star Trek. Oh, Star, oh yeah. shit, Star that's Wars. Sorry about that. that. Uh, <laughs> funny, Jesse <laughs> Thorne. No, no, Jesse Thorne never did that. <laughs> <laughs> trying to think back. Sorry, that's yeah. hurtful. That's hurtful. Yeah, you, you actually mean Jesse Thorne <laughs> never made that mistake. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so so did that did that uh, did those like. Did it was like cathartic release to watch these uh, mountain yeah, climbers, like, you know, go through these horrible disasters that help you make your decision. Maybe. I have no clue. I to this day I have no real good analysis about why I just stayed up all night doing that. <laughs> but I know that. Yeah, there. I don't know. But I, at at the end of you know a few days of thinking about it and talking with my <laughs> producer Rom and you know watching a lot of mountain climbing documentaries about people <laughs> losing limbs, I. I uh, it didn't end up being like a um, intellectual decision of pros and cons. It was just me realizing, you know, nothing will make me, <clears throat> nothing can make me happier than doing this, than my life being this for however long this, this is it, you know? So, mm. um, so, but even then it was a step-by-step process. It's not like I called and said, I'm in. And then a door was, you know, closed behind me. It was step-by-step. Step. It was sitting on talking with them. It was reading the script for seven. It was going on a meeting with JJ and it was kind of, easing into it sort of which which i think was a good thing so i kind of want to ask you i, I want to get to the film itself uh very soon but i kind of want to ask you about uh the reaction to the film and kind of how you've reacted to the reaction because uh I, you know I, I i can describe like what my reaction was watching the movie i had a great time at the theater uh i yeah. left on a high and you know the um the the critical reaction was rapturous after the screenings, right? And then right. there started to be some like rumblings in the day of release that like maybe there were certain corners of the internet that weren't super happy with the film, and <laughs> yes. uh, and so I guess like uh, you know I'm curious like how you approach uh, criticism both from movie critics but also from general public. Like a lot of some people yeah. say like I, I just never read that stuff. You don't seem to take that approach. You know you you seem to try to take tackle these things head on. Um, so uh, to some extent, I'm not, yeah, I'm not above a little bit of hiding, but, <laughs> but I know I'll tell you, it's, it was really interesting because, um, I'll tell you exactly where I was on it. So that night of release of the movie coming out, right. I had done, cause basically I'd been going around doing introductions to screenings. And so mm. I was at the, um, uh, the mall in century city 
and I was introducing a USO screening for military members and their families. And I got done with that screening. I had a couple of hours before um, uh, the next thing I had to do. And so, you know, I told the guy from Disney, why don't you just go home? It's okay. I know where to find my driver. I'll go the next thing in a few hours. I'll just hang out here at the mall, get some food. I'll you know, putter around on my phone. It'll be fine. Um, so I was, I had two hours to kill at the Century City Mall when <laughs> I started getting the first few hate tweets. And I rem- I have this memory of just this hellish kind of hour of being in the Century City Mall. <laughs> and I had, I had no, and the, the crazy thing is like thinking back on it, I had no perspective on these tweets. I had no perspective in terms of um, how big a, a group of people this was, even what they were upset about specifically. Over the next few weeks, I kind of was able to contextualize it and feel much better about it. But at that time, I thought, oh my God, does everybody hate this? Did we? Did I totally just mess up? Was I just wrong? And I had kind of a very dark hour of the soul thinking because i i again i had no context for any of this right and, you, thought, and you had wow. a dark hour where most dark hours occur at the century city mall at the century city <laughs> that was the thing i was wandering around <laughs> so to this day i probably won't be able to go back there without just going into you know <laughs> you're, you're gonna have like flashbacks position. at that hot topic um exactly but, <laughs> but uh yeah, but at this point like the there had already been you know 95 percent positive rotten tomatoes oh, yeah, and not, reviews right? not only that but but, and I will say, even then at the beginning, uh, and this has been consistent all the way through, 95% of the stuff that I get on Twitter is incredibly positive and very just like wonderful. And people wanting to share their experience of the movie, even people who have, you know, criticisms about it, they're thoughtful and it's, you know, it's, it's the good stuff. And so even then thinking back, I'll bet it was just like the, that same 5% of it. But of course, when, even 5% of the people are, are saying, I hope you, you ruined Star Wars. I hope you die. That's what you're going to listen to and, and freak out about. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was crazy. Can I ask you a question about that yeah. uh, real quick? Uh, yeah. uh, uh, before the movie had even come out, uh, yeah. we heard this announcement that you were getting another trilogy in the Star Wars universe, which I personally am, thrilled for I, i'm so excited for that but with that long dark hour of the soul at the century city mall and and the repercussions <laughs> and all the fallout yeah is is there uh, are you approaching it differently is is there any no 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 psychological baggage that will be around when you're writing those movies or any of that no i don't think so i mean i don't know Good. what it, I, yeah i mean it, it i don't know that it's I don't know what that different kind of approach would be. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I kind of have, you've got a way that you tell stories and you just kind of do that, I think, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, Good. and, and there's, you know, even, even in all the, um, even in the, the time since when I've had a lot more time to kind of process the, all the different, you know, reactions people had. I mean, there's obviously the super extreme stuff, but um, even all the other, the more thoughtful discussions going on with it. 
I don't know how this is going to sound, but there's nothing that I've, I've read or seen that's made me think, oh, God, I did kind of mess that up. I would have done that differently if I could go back. I mean, mm-hmm. I still really genuinely believe in, um, you know, all the all the decisions I made. I can't imagine I would have I, I've spent, you know, years kind of working through each of them and thinking through each of them. There's a reason I made each one of those choices. So, and I think that'll be the case with the next one. And, and it's funny, you can't ultimately at the end of the day. And I think anyone who writes or makes movies or does, does anything like that um, knows there's, there's, you put your head down and you do it and um, you're in kind of an insular space while you're doing it, you know, when you're actually doing the work. And so I honestly don't even know that I'd be, it would, be something I'd be capable of if I wanted to like process that stuff and make that a part. But I think I just, you know, you tell stories the way that it feels good for you to tell stories. Mm-hmm. It's great. I had a, a conversation with a, another director recently uh, whose work is also relatively well known. And he said that uh, he, he also absorbs a lot of criticism for his work. And he said, I'm okay absorbing it because 99% of the time, it is better to be on my side of the table creating things than on the other side of the table criticizing the people creating things. And that's kind of how he like justified uh, or how he kind of thought through the criticism. And I, I guess like what you're saying is that even with the t- you know all the stuff people have said, uh, you put a ton of thought into every one of those decisions. You wouldn't have really done it any other way. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, and also I think that uh, again, the, the extremities aside, um, right. the, you know, uh, I think that all of the talk and the debate about, uh, first of all, I, I feel really, really good about the way that the movie is, has been talked about out there. The amount of thoughtful stuff that's been written about this movie just blows my mind and not just from critics or, or column writers, people just posting stuff that they've written just you know, blog posts, you know, about it, just talking through kind of the themes of the movie and the deep dives that people have done really digging into it. Um, I'm, I'm so thrilled we made a big movie that tons of people wanted to go see and that was entertaining that also did that. I mean, that's kind of, for me, I, I feel, I don't know, very, very proud that the whole team, uh, kind of, and, and also the, the Lucasfilm and Disney let that, happen i guess yeah. i don't know but mm-hmm. so uh, no yeah I, I, the overall feeling coming away from it is not like oh boy i weathered the storm but it was worth it i feel really genuinely like this whole experience in total has been such a joyous one you know of putting the movie out there and 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 feeling the reaction to it excellent uh well let's let's talk about some of the decisions you you made for the film um i think uh the film diverges from previous films in the franchise in some really interesting ways. And, you know, I'll, I'll ask a few questions about that. And you can, first of all, tell me if you think my assessment is correct. But if it is, then I'm curious how you made some of these decisions. Wrong. <laughs> Thanks. Wrong. Appreciate that. I should that. have a buzzer. I should have a buzzer. <laughs> That's what the banjo is for. That's what that is for. Okay. Right. Obviously, one of the most uh, interesting decisions is uh, the reveal of who Ray's parents were. Um, mm-hmm. And that they were no one special, that she wasn't a Skywalker or anything like that. Um, and so, yeah, talk a little bit about how you arrived at that decision. I, I think there's a lot of people that uh, actually 
think that it might not be true or that it might be undone in the next film. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, talk, talk about like that decision, why that was important to you. Um, because lineage has been an important thing until now in, in the Star Wars franchise. Um, so sure. yeah, let's talk through that. Well, I'll give, I mean, I'll give a couple of caveats before. I, I, I'm not involved in writing episode nine, so I have no idea what's going to happen in nine. Um, and as we know in these movies, there's always space for a certain point of view. So you, I, I don't know what's going to happen next. I know it'll be awesome. I know it'll be satisfying, whatever they end up doing. But um, so that caveat. Also, I'll give the caveat that I'm all you know, and this is something that I'm still the same way that I'm still kind of, you asked me before, like, how do I, how am I, how do you, I just personally deal with critic these kind of criticisms right. thrown at me. The truth is, I don't know. I'm just, this is my first rodeo mm. with something like this. I'm figuring it out and trying to just do my best. And like, you know, I'm kind of taking it step by step. So the other thing I kind of don't know is how much to actually talk about it. Um, Cause I don't want to, short circuit not that i think i would and that's kind of why i i said well fine i'll come on let's talk about it because i realize it's nothing i say is going to actually like my initial concern was well once i kind of say what i think is that going to be something that people will just like point to and say ah, he said this and then just fight more about it as opposed to coming up with their own ideas but i don't think that's going to happen um so because no one listens to what i say david as you know <laughs> uh so what was I saying? So anyway, the other the other thing is I'll explain my reasons. I'm, but uh, my reasoning for doing it is separate from, I guess, and this applies to everything I'm going to say for the rest of the conversation. Because um, I, I I don't want anybody who had stuff in the movie they didn't like to feel like my explanations are trying to. Um, like dismiss their feelings about right. it, I guess, you know, if you, I can't, I, if you, if something that I'm describing, you didn't like, I'm not arguing that you should have liked it. I'm, I'm telling the reasons why I got there basically. Got it. Um, so anyway, uh, which is probably all self-evident anyway. So, um, uh, what was the question? Ra- raised raised parentage. Yeah. <laughs> Within, you know, someone, uh, someone in our podcast Slack brought this up today that, uh, it was introduced that like Darth Vader had killed Luke's father, but and then later you find out, well, he killed him in a sense, and that maybe like so in the next film it could be like Ray's, Ray's parents were nobody in a sense, you know. Um, right. I, I have, yeah, I have no, I have no. <laughs> so it could idea. that could anything could happen, but that being said, your your decision making. That being said, this in film. this so in this movie, I mean, there were a couple different. And by the way, I and it's funny. Recently, I found my old writing laptop and I went back through it and I looked at. I, I created like this thing that I called the big ass document that I would send to Kiri Hart at Lucasfilm, like, you know, a few times a week. I just kept updating this big document where I would just basically type through my thought process with each of these big questions. And one of when it gets to the thing about Ray, I actually go through and I made a list. Well, here's all the possible things that it could be. Um, and here are the upsides and downsides of each of them. And for me, uh, the answer that we come to in this movie or that that is presented to her the and i've, I've talked elsewhere about this also but th- th- there are kind of two elements to it the less important one to me but still the one that i think holds weight is the notion of disconnecting it from strict lineage the idea of opening up the world a little bit more so that um you know it's not just that you have to be related to one of several people in the galaxy in order to be special it's mm-hmm. and i think that if you know uh, I, you know if star wars is gonna is gonna move 
beyond it, we, we have to do that at some point, but, um, and also there's just something kind of appealing about, uh, about the notion of, you know, it's kind of the, anyone can be president sort of feeling of, of, of the force. And I think it just makes Ray's character, I think a little, a little cooler. However, none of that would be important if the second point didn't apply. And the second thing, which is the really important one was just a dream, a dramatic question, a question of dramatic impact. Um, going back to that initial thing that I said to Kathy, you know, the, the object in this movie is to find, it's like the second act of a film is to throw complications at these characters to find their weak spots and press on them and to find out who they are by making life very hard on them. And really what the question of what, what, what should the answer raised given in this movie be boils down to what is the hardest thing she can hear? And the hardest thing in my mind, the easiest thing she could hear is, Oh yeah, you're related to so-and-so. Oh yeah. You're really, you're Luke's daughter or you're a Kenobi or you're, Palpatine or whatever it is, you know, here's your place in the movie. That would be both the easiest thing for Ray and for us, because her whole quest is for how do I fit into this? I want to know my place in all of this. If it's handed to her via lineage, that seems, um, again, that, 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 that felt like that would be exactly what she and we as an audience would want to hear, obviously, because there are a lot of fans who obviously really wanted to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, the hardest thing she could hear is no, you're not going to get that easy answer. You're not going to get, uh, you're not, you're not going to be defined by this. You're going to, and not only that, but you not getting this answer is going to be used against you by Kylo and the last, you know, scene that you have together to really try and tempt you into, you can't lean on that. So are you going to lean on him instead? And you're a hero. So you're going to have to stand on your own two feet. Um, I talk about sometimes how it, it's weirdly similar to the I am your father moment with Vader. Mm-hmm. It's, it's oddly going for the same impact that moment had, but with the uh, inverse answer. Um, I am your father was, was the hardest thing that Luke could hear in that moment in the audience because it, it takes what was a very simple bad guy and suddenly turns him into something much more complicated. And, um, uh, to do that with Ray, to give Ray and the audience that moment of, oh no, it had to be the exact opposite answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so cool that that you phrase it like that. I, I love I love that description of the process because it sort of makes some of that reaction from the audience inevitable because you are literally by intention yeah. giving them the most uncomfortable moment. It, it's the best thing for the story because it puts the audience in a well, position and, that they didn't want to be in. And I'll tell you, that's a, been a really fascinating thing the past few weeks. And I don't, I mean, the past, past month in seeing this, and I want to be careful I phrase it. I don't want this to come off as, um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, but seeing how the audience reaction in general plays so much into the the actual themes of the movie in this strange meta way almost has been Mm -hmm. really, really amazing. And um, yeah. So anyway, but yeah, yeah, that's, I think you're absolutely right. 
we, we got this email from listener Bradley Martin from Canada, uh, and I shared this with you, Ryan. It really made that scene with Ray in the cave kind of lock into place for me. Um, he writes, in Ray's vision, we see hundreds of her in a line, these being hundreds of identities of who she is, who she's supposed to be, why she is. It had to start somewhere, she tells Kylo Ren, only to find her beginning was two passing shadows. She'll never know her father's hair, her mother's eyes, what they enjoy or hate, a constant identity crisis with a lifetime full of questions, the most horrific of these being, why didn't they want me? Just a heads up, Star Wars fans, orphans are real and are plagued by these thoughts every day. Film speculation is fun, but the idea that Rey can't be the character she is without a Jedi Master parent has to stop. You don't need a Skywalker or Kenobi in your family tree to make the world a better place, end quote. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, even beyond just like his description of it, and this is what's been so cool over the past month, seeing people take the movie and apply it to what they care about in life and find things like that in it that um, I never could have expressed that way because mm-hmm. that's that's a personal thing that he, a reaction he had. And I, I just think that's that's so cool. Yeah, re- Related to that scene, actually, I, I think the visual representation of that whole sequence is kind of amazing. Like, I'm wondering, where did that idea come for you? Were you inspired by something yeah. in terms of how to represent those multiple rays? That was a, it was weird. That was a very, very early visual idea that I had that was kind of disconnected from anything. I, mm. I, another, before I went to San Francisco, one of the very first things I did um, was um, there's this guy, Rick Carter, who is, uh, he's a production designer who works with Spielberg a lot. And he's also, uh, he worked on The Force Awakens. He's also just kind of the secret, like, Yoda of these. Of this of these movies, he's kind of a he's a really amazing guy. He's a very deep thinker. He's very um, basically. I I you know, Rom, my producer, knew Rick a little bit, and he said you should go out. It was like it was like telling Ray at the end of Force Awakens, you should go to this <laughs> island. And he says like, you should go out to Malibu and you should talk to Rick. And I said, oh okay, and so. I went out there and for a few weeks I kept going back and we would just walk down the beach for like entire afternoons talking not about uh, set pieces, not about design, not even about, you know, Star Wars, but talking specifically, but talking about, um, talking about like just spiritual stuff, talking about, you know, our families talking about, we get into the characters a little bit, but it was always in the context of the most abstract kind of what does this mean to me type type stuff. And I can't tell you how, I mean, and so anyway, the, the mirror sequence kind of came out of mm. um, the, those few weeks. And also I can't tell you how amazing it was at the beginning of a process that turns out a movie that's, you know, uh, whatever, like a big, it's it's from the outside like the cynical view of it is it's it's this big machine that disney's creating to turn out toys and money and and regardless of even that element of it it was going to be this big machine of a process to have the beginning of it be just these philosophical talks (laughs) with this awesome dude (laughs) on the beach in malibu set the tone for the entire creative process in a way that i think was really really wonderful but anyway so yeah, I just had this vision of this idea of a, a million rays going off into infinity. You know, huh. her whole search for identity. I, I looking back through my notes, at one point I had the wacky of idea of like, I was like, oh, should it should it be like a two thousand and one type thing where like each one of the rays is a little younger 
Mm. And as she goes down the line, it's younger and younger and younger Ray going wow. back to her origin. And then when she gets to you get to the end, it's like the space baby in 2001 where it's baby Ray. And there's yeah. a shadowy figure holding the baby who you think is the mother. And then it reveals that it's Ray holding herself as a baby, like really Ooh. wacky stuff like that, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that would have been, exactly. It would have probably just ended up playing silly. And so there's a reason <laughs> that I, I didn't go that way. But being free at that point to think about stuff like that um, in the context of a Star Wars movie, uh, I don't know, to, to and I, I guess I would also just say to any fans who, who, you know, think about like, how are these trilogies being created? How is this, how are these new movies being created? I, I think it's, I hope it's comforting to hear that that was like the Lucasfilm endorsed first step, I guess. Huh. Wow. Yeah. yeah I, I was reading your interview with Peter Sarda from Slash Film and you were saying how the whole Ray idea in the cave is that like that, that cave takes you to what you fear the most. And, uh, what she fears the most is that there's there is no answer that she only has herself, right? Something along those lines. Yeah, something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. Um, so really interesting and, way and of realizing that. Yep. Go ahead. Visually, because uh, I'll never miss an opportunity to recommend people see this movie. That there was also <laughs> a visual inspiration from Under the Skin from that sequence yes. in Under mm. the Skin with the yeah, boy. Yeah. And we actually got the effects company. Uh, they're called One of Us. Um, to that did that sequence to work on the the mirror cave sequence. Um, oh. If anyone hasn't seen Under the Skin, it's a masterpiece. It's, yeah. it's one of the best science fiction movies ever made. I think amazing film, amazing film. Yeah. Um, yeah. One thing that I saw that was an interesting reaction to uh, the reveal of Ray's lineage is this idea that like even though lineage is no longer important for wielding and taking advantage of the force. That Ray still represents a one in a billion or one in a trillion uh, person, right? That mm. it's not like I, I guess this question is: What are the implications of Broom Boy at the end of the movie? Are we supposed to interpret right. that as like, oh, everyone can be as good as Ray, or is it just that Ray is like one in a trillion, and therefore it's still extremely selective who has the ability to um, to be great it's, at the Force? Well, it's interesting. I guess I. Uh... I mean, that's an interesting interpretation of it, isn't it? I guess I, know, I don't think of it in those terms, I suppose, because ultimately these stories are, are still, each one of them is, is, is a, a hero's journey, and this is Ray's hero's journey. And, and that means that it's not making a statement about who in the world is allowed to have special powers. Mm-hmm. A, a, a story like this is about the person who's watching it, and it's about, um, you know, it's always about finding finding your way in the world and you watching this myth that gives you some kind of roadmap for some version of that. That's, that's what, um, going back to the original stories, that's what they're about. So, um, and honestly, that's also why the whole dismissing the lineage thing was, was of much secondary importance to me because I actually don't think that, you know, the, the, uh, the original trilogy, it's not saying that only, only people born of a certain lineage of royalty are are special. That's just a way of representing this notion of this this um, you know this this uh, archetypal hero who is who who has a special purpose. And it's just speaking to each and every one of us, saying there's that version of that hero in you, and it's going you're gonna have to go through some kind of internal version of this big projected myth in your own life as you're you know, going from childhood into adulthood or whatever it is, mm. if that I makes find sense. It, 
I find it so interesting that you speak of Ray's hero journey, which clearly this, these movies are, and yet you really only got to write the middle chapter. And as you said earlier, you don't have any hand in writing her final chapter or any of these characters, maybe not final, but third chapter. Um, is Are there things that you are hoping get picked up on from this movie? Are there hooks that you put in the movie that you hope get get fulfilled uh, are there things that you would be really disappointed to see like if we saw ray turn to the dark side for example would that bum you out are there are there i mean are you sitting here like an audience member thinking about what this third movie could be i'm absolutely saying here exactly like an audience member and i think it's probably yeah getting getting yelled at by certain people who it didn't go the way they expected <laughs> is probably softening me a little bit in in my forming very hard expectations that the next movie better do this or else um and no i know that it's yeah, first of all i have i have just First of all, from foremost, I have I have faith in in JJ and in Chris Terrio, who's right or in Chris, who's writing it with him. That um, it's it's they're terrific storytellers, and I know that they're going to give something satisfying, even if it's not what I'm expecting. Um, and I'm sure it won't be what I'm expecting. There's no way it could be what I'm expecting. That's what's fun about it. Um, I also though know it'll be satisfying in a way that uh, because these you know because these movies are mythological and because they are ultimately heroes journeys that means they they have a certain gravitational arc to them and um however that arc ends up getting fulfilled it will get fulfilled the rainbow is going to touch down you know to earth at the end of it um how that ends up happening i mean that's the fun yeah one of the most interesting decisions this movie makes is it posits that brash hot-headedness won't get you very far uh we see again people that uh, are you know are brash and hot headed and make these crazy decisions based on information they believe to be superior? Uh, they end up getting flummoxed again and again throughout the film, and this is kind of a stark divergence uh, from the rest of the franchise. I mean, I feel like in in past films the the hotheads have been pretty successful, uh, <laughs> and so a do you agree that it's a divergence? And if so, uh, why was this theme important for you to communicate in this film? Yeah, well, sure. It's it's definitely a divergence. I mean, I think that it and largely the theme that you're talking about uh, is is demonstrated in Pose. Yes. And um, again, though, that the it's not like I sat down and and first and foremost on my mind was, ooh, how do I <laughs> how do I subvert the hothead hero <laughs> mythology has been built in? No, I, I sat down and thought, okay, who is Poe? And the truth is we know very little about Poe from the first movie. He's a very cool character. Oscar Isaac has, has all the charisma, charisma in the world. But he the truth is he's 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 a hothead hero. He's he's a he's the best pilot in the galaxy and and he's awesome. Um it's funny, looking back at the uh I told I talked about going through my old writing notebook, I found like the very first draft I wrote that, that I didn't even show Lucasfilm because it was it was awful. And uh, in the very first draft that I wrote, I wrote a whole script where uh, Poe goes off on the mission to Canto Bight with with Finn, and uh, and Rose doesn't exist in it. And it's uh, it's the 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 M <laughs> the MRA's wet dream of a script. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just the guys. 
And at the time, I thought, oh, this will be awesome. It's Butch and, you know, Butch and, uh, Butch and Sundance, and they're going off together on this adventure. And I wrote it, and even while I was writing it, I was aware, oh, my God, this is so boring. Um, because those two guys can't challenge each other. They, 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 they can encourage each other, and that's what they do for the appropriately brief amount of screen time that they have in The Force Awakens. It's awesome. They're encouraging each other. They, they give each other feel good. It's like you can do it. Um, but they don't have built into their character the tools necessary to challenge each other, which is what each one of them had to had to be challenged. I, I learned that by trial and error, basically, by doing it and seeing, oh, my God, this tool doesn't work for this. Um, so then the question was, OK, I'm going to split them up. And that's great because that means that rather than Poe serving Finn's arc, he can have Poe can have his own arc. And then it was a question, oh, what is Poe's arc? OK, what do I know about Poe? I know he's a hero. What is the tough thing he could? And that's when the whole idea of heroism versus leadership came up, especially in relation to Leia. Because at the same time, I was thinking about Leia's character, and I was thinking about this character who's kind of been defined by loss throughout her entire, you know, as long as we've known her, going back to the first movie. And the, the idea of showing Leia starting to kind of bow underneath the weight of just this, all of this loss that she's had, and how she's seen all of these hotshot pilots come and go and leading and, and obviously Han being the most recent one, you know, just, just, just realizing that, Oh, that could be a really interesting thing. The wisdom of Leia and a different type of wisdom that could, you know, that suddenly in connected up with Poe. And I thought, okay, heroism versus leadership. That's a really interesting contrast. And what would the lesson be there? And, um, that seems like a very exciting thing to play with in a Star Wars movie. Got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Ryan, we have at this point in the conversation a bunch of random uh, nerd <clears throat> nitpick questions to throw. Ooh, in. I love it. Before you get there, can <laughs> yeah. I can I do one more thing? I just don't Please. want this this to go by. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know. I know that Ryan talked to the uh, the far superior Jesse Thorne. Uh, about about this a little bit, um, <laughs> I didn't want I didn't want to go by without without talking just a little bit about Carrie Fisher, um, because uh, you know it's many, interesting. Jesse Jesse asked me about Carrie. Mm. Yeah, yeah. We, we we're just trying to learn from the best is what we're trying yeah. to do. Yeah. Uh, emulate emulate the best until you can. fake it fake it until you make it. Um, <laughs> me too. But, <laughs> Uh, but, um, I, you know, I'm, people who listen to the sh- show know that and have made fun of me a lot because of, I've talked so much about how uh, very, very few moments in this movie I was not crying <laughs> watching. <laughs> uh, and a lot of that uh, are the layers of of watching Carrie Fisher in her last film and seeing her ostensibly die and then come back to life and knowing that she can't do that in real life. And, you know, all, all of those layers that existed in watching it after the passing of this, this amazing actress. Um, I I don't know if you, I, 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 there's not much of a question there. I just would love for you to speak to that. And was there any, I I know you talked to Jesse about the considerations of what you might do with her character, but I wonder if there's a, a subtler point to be made about feeling like maybe you were taking advantage of, her death in a weird way or was there any worry on that level 
Oh, there was absolutely there was, and there was worry on every level. I, I and I did. We didn't know, you know. It was like, uh, yeah, we we. I remember just that feeling of coming back into the office after that Christmas break and sitting down and watching the scenes through and just feeling the weight of, you know, what do we do? And, um, you know, in terms of what you, what you mentioned, it's a very interesting thing in terms of feeling like, God, are we, because it's impossible to watch it without the extra, you know, the extra emotional weight of everything you just described being laid onto it, you know? Um, but I, I don't know. I felt, I felt like at the end of the day, that was, both inevitable, no matter even if we had done alterations or what, I'm not sure what we would have done. You know, we're not going to cut her out of the movie for fear of that um, because it's a beautiful performance and I think people deserve to have it, you know, and, and she's wonderful. In it. Um, and so uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like there is this kind of whole other, and it's, it's impossible to, for me to even know what how the movie would play if 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 curry were still around it would be different i don't know the truth is i just don't know you know it, it sounds um, like you went through uh and there's obviously you you probably considered every permutation right like uh yeah. reshooting the entire film complete like removing your character entirely or um having her say goodbye or or having her character pass yeah. at an earlier point um in the film which yeah. uh, she doesn't her character does not die in the film, right? Um, even though she right. comes close. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you probably consider like every one well, of these sure. possibilities, right? Absolutely. And we thought about. I mean, you know, it's yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we did. And there was no, but I didn't. I didn't deep dive into any of them because I very instinctively felt like. Um, I very instantly, instinctively felt like none of them would be truly emotionally satisfying or as satisfying as seeing her complete performance. And I think at the end of the day, it was, you know, it's a scene that she has with Luke. It's the goodbye scene. And it's her last scene in the Falcon with Ray. And we have everything we need. And those last words in the movie being words of hope. And there was no version where we manufactured some kind of earlier, you know, death for the character that could keep both of those scenes and there was no version of an earlier death for the character that I felt like would be um, emotionally satisfying enough to justify losing those scenes, you know? Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. All the things you say, absolutely, man. It's all just this complex, complex mix of stuff. And what, what you know, it's, it, at the end of the day, I just, I just, I just felt deeply that this is a beautiful performance and we leave the movie with with Carrie as Princess Leia giving us giving us those words and I want that I'm so grateful for that decision because it, it, it it's something that meant a lot to me every time I've seen the film at this point it it, it gets me and it's it's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing yeah. I'm so glad you made that decision oh, yeah that there, there must have been like some um the the idea of like if you could figure out a way to streamline the story, you still would have been leaving a huge part of this performance on the cutting room floor, and yeah. that would have been and, un- unacceptable, right? And resolving it in a way. I mean, honestly, if there were some magic key I could have turned where it's like, oh my god, we can just do this, and that'll be an incredibly beautiful, moving, 
fitting ends to, you know, the character, then I would have absolutely considered it. The truth is just, you know, the movie was shot and put together and it was, there was just no, nothing that I could see in it that was that. And so, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to layer into that, that, you know, we were all going through, it's extra complicated because, um, you know, as, as much as we I was, had become friends with Carrie, I was going through just personal grieving as well. And so all the stuff that you feel when you're watching it, just from knowing that character growing up, I was also watching a friend of mine on screen who I just yeah. lost. It was, right. it was just, a, it was a lot, you know. Um, wow. Anyway. But, sure. Well, thank um, you. Thank you for speaking to that. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. 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 Um, and actually, speaking of like multiple permutations, you said something earlier uh, that I, I kind of wanted to just dig into a little bit. You said that you had this big, you said the big ass document, uh, yeah. where you tried to like every possibility with Ray's parents. And like, I'm curious, uh, obviously you've already spoken to some of those possibilities. Maybe Ray's dad is Obi-Wan, maybe Ray's dad is Luke Skywalker. Were there any possibilities on that document that might surprise people that you considered? The instant I say any one of them, there's going to be <laughs> A headline, you won't believe who Ray's parents almost were. <laughs> so true. Um, you've seen right through uh, me, Ryan. You've seen right through me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I, can't try to think. I mean, I honestly, I listed everything I could think about. Even awful possibilities where I said, this is not what we're going to do. But Or even like, wouldn't it be fun? Okay, is she, you know... It, 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 everything from, I mean, the less silly one is like, oh, is she a clone? Is she a this? It, anything that's a theory on Reddit now, I guarantee was listed in that document. What, um, what was the most silly one, if I may ask? The silliest one was, is she a robot? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've seen a biomechanical, uh, realistic flesh hand on Luke. Could the technology have advanced efficiently in the 30 years? And then Kiri and I just started laughing. <laughs> we said, no. <laughs> <laughs> please uh, yeah i'd I, I look forward to the you won't believe what ray was actually a robot almost a robot and at least you gave us some clicks we appreciate exactly that's <laughs> the, for you. that headline will happen and i'm sorry from the bottom of my heart ryan um <laughs> so um, let's uh let's move on to some of these geek nitpick questions this is kind of a lightning round like but at the same time if you if you want to dig deeper into this uh into any of these i'm, I'm happy for you to um so this uh, you, you talked about this re- recently on Twitter about Luke's prosthetic arm, and <laughs> when when Luke, <laughs> when Luke vanishes at the end of the film, you said there was a joke in the edit room about how like his prosthetic arm should clang onto the onto the rock beneath him, um, but yeah. it would have undercut the moment. But I think yeah. Gizmodo had a piece on this where they asked like, "Wait, so Ryan, Luke's prosthetic arm vanishes with him at the end of the film? Are you then saying?" that prostheses are like metaphysically part of the person? Is that what you're saying, Ryan? They are just as much a part of the person as Yoda's robes are part of him when he disappears with oh. them. But, but not yeah. Luke's robes. Not Luke's robes, because Luke's the- robes don't disappear. Luke's cape does not, but his clothing mm. goes with him. Gotcha. All right, so clo- <laughs> clothing but not capes. What is it about capes that you think... <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not a-, a Terminator going back in time situation. No People keep their clothes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kui Jong is like, yes, I figured it out. Except there's one <laughs> caveat: no capes. <laughs> uh, okay, the Holdo maneuver, Ryan. This has really bothered me. I, I don't know if you saw this like massive article on the Ringer about the Holdo maneuver. Did you see that? 
No, I didn't see that. Oh, okay. It was it was a great piece that basically tries to understand why the Holdo maneuver doesn't break the entire universe, right? Because the idea of the Holdo maneuver is you can take a ship, ram it light speed into an enemy ship, and that it would like cause incredible amounts of damage. Hmm. Um, and so if, if that's possible, why hasn't it been done many times before, I think is one, one of the questions. And, and like maybe it's – and you know, this article posits some, some theories like maybe it's really difficult to do, although like in the movie she kind of – It's difficult to do. <laughs> I'm sorry. Would you say it's really difficult to do? That's the answer? It doesn't seem very difficult to do, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't seem difficult to do at all. That's, that's why yeah. – another theory is like maybe it's, it's not difficult to do, but it's so dangerous that it's been like outlawed as a war crime or something like that. I would so, expect it would be, right? <laughs> I expect it would be frowned upon. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you have yeah. did you have an answer for like why the Holdo maneuver hasn't been done more often in the past? Or uh, you know, I mean, like in the past thirty years between the two, you're, yeah. you're just in general going because it seems by. like a yeah, kamikaze no, would be like yeah. a pretty the entire history of Star Wars, right? The entire history well, of Star sure. Wars. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the dude in the it was the A wing, right? The kamikaze then to the. Uh, um, into the into the bridge of the star destroyer and that took down yeah in, in Jedi you know yes. so we've seen kamikaze maneuvers before no I mean I think I'm I'm going to be really looking forward to seeing in talk to seeing basically what like how this is now integrated into into the canon and I'd be fascinated <laughs> to hear about I mean this sounds like this sounds like a dodge it's it's kind of not I mean first of all I I, I has this been done before period you know is this like a it, yeah maybe you know, she's the first person to thought your, your answer could be Brian, <laughs> is nobody right. thought to, uh, thought of it but me slash holdo that's kind of my i mean at this point it's kind of my answer i, mean, I, I think that you know i, I gotta reserve the right for pablo to build it back into canon if he's like yeah this is a thing and they outlawed it and and whatever, I think there's various ways you can go with it. But um, it's not like that was the plan to do this. It's this spur of the moment thing, this idea that she gets, that she sits down and fucking does. And it obviously takes everybody completely by surprise. It takes Hux by yeah. surprise. The fact, that, the fact that Hux doesn't see it coming um, <laughs> means it's probably not a standard military maneuver. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think it's it was something that Holdo just kind of pulled out of her <laughs> pulled out of her butt in the moment. I got to say official canon answer. <laughs> thank thank and, you for that. Uh, I, yeah, I, 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 gotta as, as, I, I can speak to why it didn't happen earlier in this movie, I guess. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, yeah, that's please. That's not really the question that's being. No, but asked, pl- please. Yeah. Like, why didn't, why didn't they just turn around and like kamikaze it and, and like have uh, the well, transport because, ships eject? Well, because even with their biggest ship doing it, as you can see, it didn't take out the entire force mm. and they basically hold it they came up with as soon as after holdo took command and she figured out what the plan was she she remembered this place crate that they can go to she formed a plan and the plan involves the bad guys thinking that um you know it, it's a plan where they can get completely cleanly away and actually doing this at any point would have messed that plan up right. um and so anyway <laughs> uh, I got to geek out with you for a second, Ryan, that that uh, the moment when she goes through the ships and it's silent for 10 seconds. Uh, you probably saw the uh, the note for AMC projectionists that was on the Internet, yeah, right? 
love that so much. Yeah, the, the, there was a <laughs> yes. note that basically said, like, for you know, at about an hour and ten minutes into this movie, um, yeah. there will be no sound for ten seconds, uh, and that is intentional. <laughs> this is an intentional decision on the case of the director. So, do not freak out. Yeah, do not be alarmed. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought that was awesome. Uh, so how did you conceive of that? Because that, that is one of the most shocking and beautiful and breathtaking moments of the film, in my opinion. So awesome. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it came out really nice. So that was, I had the idea, the, the early idea I had was, and I storyboarded it all out. I, I had the silence thing as an idea from very early on, the notion of how do you communicate both the bigness of this and the idea that this is all happening in uh you know, a nanosecond, basically. This mm. is like the notion that this this event is out of time in a weird way and communicate the bigness of this beyond it just being another big explosion. So I had the silence thing and I boarded it out and we started playing with all the, I had the idea that, okay, it's going to be silent when we're up close seeing all the destruction and then we'll cut back to the massive wide shot and only then would the sound catch up with you and you hear the big boom. But it, it, the whole thing honestly didn't click until... Um, you know, our amazing wizards at ILM came came upon the idea of that exposure shift. Um, and mm. that honestly, because we had had versions of it before that with just regularly lit ships with just like streaks of white going through them. Mm -hmm. And it was nowhere near as impactful. It was when um, that, that, that they, they showed this version of it to me that had that exposure shift. And I was like, oh my God, that that makes it all kind of click. And can perfect. you just clarify like what you mean by exposure shift? Yeah. So you, and you can see when it happens, it, there's, they light it with, um, it's almost like the lights turn off on all the star destroyers. And mm. so the star destroyers are silhouette black against the blinding light of, um, of, you know, the, 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 the streaks where the, the debris has gone through the ships. Um, and it, and it happens just on a split second on that first thing where it goes through. And then for the rest of the shots, it's just very striking. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, a, just a, a completely different mode of lighting for it. So, but that's, you know, that with, with any creative project, it's, it's usually like that you start with the intent and then you do bit by bit with the design, you, you make decisions that kind of get you closer and closer to to doing the best version of it possible. Wow. It, it, it's I, an incredible I, I moment. Of, yeah. Yeah. So nice. good. I kind of have a related, uh, geek nitpick around all this too. Is there something in the canon that, uh, that states that, you know, these ships have light speed. They, they can do so many things. They don't have autopilot. They don't have which like, ones, which like ones, any, any ship like in general, right? Like the, the, this right, entire right, moment. Right. Rests oh yeah. No, I could have, I, I thought yeah. having, having to like stand, step yeah. back and do it. Well, no, I, 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 and I, I thought about God, do I have to put a whole fucking thing in there <laughs> that does this? And I thought, no, the idea is, is not so much that she has to be back to actually pilot the ship. The notion is that there's something that where there is some protocol when they're, yeah, um, that that they can tell if a ship is on autopilot, and and okay. and there's something manual that has to be done every whatever span of every thirty seconds or a minute or something like a manual ping or something that uh, is a tell that they can't fake that um, that will will give away if the ship is is unmanned basically. But but then I was like, oh, I don't want to put a whole thing in. right. <laughs> in, right. In. 
Um, you want to be you want to be moving so. straws around a, di- a diner table. Yeah, it's kind of it. It's kind of it. Yeah. I just I want to see that kill switch on the bridge somewhere. That's all. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's there. Oh, it's there. You didn't see it. Yeah, it's totally there. <laughs> sharp, eye, sharp eyes will catch. <laughs> so another geek nitpick question: Like, what would have happened if Finn had continued flying into the laser battering ram? I I saw a, a critique that was like. Uh, you know, at that moment, uh, Rose says, you know, we're not going to win this by uh, killing what we hate. We're going to do it by saving what we love, something like that. Sorry, I'm butchering your words, Ryan. Um, but the um, <laughs> but, the, you know, one of the one of the critiques I saw was like, well, isn't he trying to save what he loves by destroying this laser battering ram? Well, um, what does she say? What does she say before that? though? What's the dialogue right before that? I don't he know. Says, he says, why did you stop me? And hmm. she says, what? I saved you. And what does Poe say? And what is he looking at right before he mortars everyone to pull off? He's look. He's before he's looking around and saying, "Oh my God, we're not going to make it. We're getting picked off." But the last thing he's looking at is that cannon. He says the cannon is charged. It's a suicide. So we'll never know what happens if Finn went into the cannon. I think it's what, in my mind, what Poe and Rose obviously think will happen. And Given what that cannon looks like, it's pretty likely that it would have been a little bit like a mosquito going into a bug zapper. Um, right. But, but we never did it, so I guess we'll never know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Got it. All right. Understood. Awesome. Um, you know, I had this uh, reaction when I saw the, the opening of this movie, or not the, not the very opening, but when uh, the first scene with Ray and Luke, right? You reshot that, did you not? The from the last like it, it doesn't match the ending of Force Awakens. Yeah, is that no, correct? no, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they shot that when they shot the Force Awakens, and when mm. we shot this, when we shot when we shot ours. So yeah, yeah. Um, uh, was it no, always understood? That's how movies work, Dave. Yeah, that's no, I, I understand it, but I'm I'm saying like, was it always understood that like you would pick up like you wanted to pick up right where they left off, and so you're like, well, we can't just use the shots from last time. We need to redo those because we have other things we want to do with those shots. Uh, yeah. like, curious how that decision making happened. I mean, also, I mean, to be honest, Daisy was what a couple of years, you know, a year or two older when we shot ours. And so even if we had used the previous ones and she looked a certain way and it just, it wouldn't have matched for several different reasons, but also, mm-hmm. yeah, they shot the footage they needed to do that scene. And, uh, and with ours, you know, it, uh, yeah, it was, it, there wasn't really a, an opportunity and we had to go there anyway to shoot new stuff. So, um, yeah, it just made sense to, to, to reshoot the few things that even we, we could have. But yeah, then once we were there, we only had a couple of days there and we couldn't control the weather. So you just kind of have to have to go with it. Mm. Uh, there was a question that came up a couple times online and also in the chat room of you know, the whole movie is, is them being chased. The First Order is chasing the resistance. Um, people have asked, like, why didn't the First Order just call on reinforcements uh, rather than chase the ship for a day? Uh, did you have any uh, explanation of that, like originally in the movie, or or did you call have a... reinforcements? Like, what do you mean? Like, oh, you mean like call in like another? Well, I don't know. They have obviously a huge part. They've allocated a massive part of their fleet uh, <laughs> already to be there. I assume other people are considering. We've read in the opening crawl that they're also busy bringing the galaxy to heal. <laughs> I'd assume all their other resources are are pretty tied up and add into that that they think they have a pretty ironclad lock on the situation, that they think this is just a matter of, you know, 
this, this is fine. We just, you know, we chase them a little bit. They'll run out of fuel. It'll all be over. And so right. in their in their mind, there is no imminent threat of, of losing them. And I, I doubt it would make sense from a military perspective to take valuable resources right. away from conquering the galaxy in order to, to do it. All right. Fair, fair enough, Ryan. Um, at, at the end of the movie, the, the, the salt planet, I guess I, I am curious, like, that is one of the most beautiful visuals, I would say, in the entire Star Wars franchise of these ships kind of, like, clattering on the ground and the red erupting behind them. Um, uh, so c- kind of curious, like, how, how did you conceive of that? Like, what was that process like? Yeah. And also, one of the Resistance fighters uh, just takes a piece of the planet and eats it. <laughs> and, uh, who eats a planet? And no, yeah, who I is insane enough to just eat a foreign separate. planet? Like, what's the deal with that? Yeah, I, I loved, yeah, uh, yeah, I, 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 the whole. Wait a minute, he just tasted the planet. I love that meme. <laughs> uh, and that, by the way, is our second AD uh, 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 Matt. We called him Salty after that scene. Matthew <laughs> uh, Sharp is a very sweet guy, but um, and Gareth Edwards is right next. Yeah, to him, uh, a cameo. Uh, no, it's, they're out there and it looks like snow, but it isn't cold. And he's like, what the hell is this stuff? And, uh, for some weird reason, he thinks the way to test that is to taste it. <laughs> it's like how every cop has to taste the cocaine. Yeah. It's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or biting, like, uh, I guess there's probably some old reason they used to bite coins to see if they were real. <laughs> it's like, it's like that. Oldest soft. Whatever. Whatever weird agricultural background this guy comes from, <laughs> he thinks he's seen it all. He has a suspicion of what this stuff is, and he's testing his suspicion. I can't wait to see the new Marvel comic about the plant, the planet eater who goes around. <laughs> he does. He tastes a little bit of it. It would. I, I couldn't, it would be funny if he took out a fork. Do you see the video someone made where they had their kids do the scene, and the kid like took out a margarita glass and like. <laughs> Assaulted the rim of the glass with it. Amazing. <laughs> so, so, so did you like see in your mind's eye like I'm seeing ships like you know on the ground like, with like this red yeah. trail erupting behind them? Like was that in your mind's eye when you wrote the scene, or how did it come to being? Yeah, that was a visual that was again very early. That was from back in like the Rick Carter talks, and the the initial thing of it was actually wanted to do a big battle and kind of communicate the the violence of the battle. But these are you know, you don't show blood in Star Wars movies. These are mm-hmm. PG-13 movies. And mm-hmm. so the initial thing was, oh, wouldn't it be amazing to have a movie where the landscape itself could graphically communicate the violence of the battle? Um, and cool concept. also the notion that uh, the landscape would evolve during the course of the battle. The idea that at the beginning it's white and pristine and then it gets scarred and increasingly red. And at the end, after the cannon goes, it blows all the white away. So it's just this red hellscape. And then as Luke comes out and is doing his, you know, coming back into uh, the legend that he needs to be and kind of healing the world, the, the salt snow falls and turns everything back into pristine white. I, I really like the idea of the landscape itself having a narrative to it during the mm. course of that whole scene. Mm-hmm. So, was was anyway. that the thinking behind uh, Snoke's like throne room as well? Like the the great red pre- representation there. Yeah, well, that was that was just thinking about Snoke and thinking, well, okay, mm-hmm. I, I like the idea of him be actually kind of being like the Wizard of Oz a bit, being physically weak and using theatricality as one of his tools. I guess mm-hmm. he's very strong with the Force, obviously, but he has a very unlike the Emperor, who's just kind of in a 
a workspace kind of through a type run <laughs> very utilitarian. Uh, Snoke has a sense of, of theatricality and of style. And, yeah. and so, uh, and, and, and yeah, so it, it was, I, for some reason had, um, the idea of this of this red and and again uh the idea of the evolution of, of, of like during the course of it the um environment itself um going from that kind of theatrical red and then having the blazing fire during the fight and then having it be this gorgeous kind of fiery rain during the scene between mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And i got yeah. i got shades of like a kurosawa's ran during that uh, yeah, uh sequence red, it, well, yeah. i'll tell you where the the, the more straightforward um, uh, inspiration came from Anth- uh, the late great uh, Anthony Minghella did a production of, of, of Madame Butterfly, the opera that mm. was for the staging of it. He had this very graphic lit red background with reflective floor. And while we were fit, I had this idea that oh, it should be red like curtains back there and we kept drawing stuff up and it just kind of looked like curtains. And I was like, that's not cool. That's not, <laughs> there's nothing cool about curtains. Uh, and, and then I remembered I had seen this production, this opera, and I started pulling up pictures from it. I was like, oh, this, it's just this abstract red back there. And then it's only revealed to be even a physical thing when it sets on fire. And, and then right. we, were, we were onto something. It's cool. Mm. What what was the fun? Yeah, I'm looking at the images now. If you Google Anthony Mangella, Madam Butterfly, it looks incredible. Like what? So what was it's the solution? beautiful? Yeah. What was the solution? If it wasn't curtains. Uh, it was curtains. It was just it was a fabric that was straight, and this was actually built into the physical set. It's not like it was. Um, it was an incredible set. Um, it's not like it was green screen, and we turned it red. We actually got this red fabric. We stretched it. Uh, uh, around the entire set and then steve came up with a way of lighting it so that it just turned into kind of this um uh, pure field of red that still had some slight gradation to it and then when we got into post ilm kind of helped remove some of the seams and some of the little telltale signs that was it was real fabric Hmm, interesting yeah i i I never would have thought like curtains aren't cool like you said but thinking back on it (laughs) it's true yeah i think it's true it's true and thinking back on it it really does feel seamless when you're in that room so yeah Um, yeah, it's kind of disorienting you don't know exactly how deep it is or where you're looking i I, uh i really geeked out hard during the movie when a uh, like an x-wing flew by a star destroyer window and the windows like kind of rattled rattled is that the <laughs> yeah, first the, time I, that's happened in a star wars film because i feel like i honestly don't know you'd, you'd have i mean it's the first time i can think and try well no when the falcon goes by i'm trying to remember if everything rattles in empire when the falcon flies by buzzes the the bridge right before it kind of disappears um it, everyone kind of like ducks and reacts to the shock of it but i can't remember if it rattles but yeah that's our our, our top gun moment <laughs> yeah it was important like i guess it was important for you to give this world like a physicality that way with the sound oh yeah absolutely and that's that's a constant thing in all the movies is 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 uh kind of the physical rattle and rattle and roll of these being almost you know like car movies set in space <laughs> rather than <laughs> spaceship movies per se. Mm, mm. Uh, all right. Just a, a, few, a couple more questions. Uh, Rex Daisy on Twitter asked this question. I'm curious about the George Lucas storyline uh, or the George Lucas outline. Um, the story group would have you believe that it's still very much in play, um, but 
uh, everywhere we've read that Ryan has had a clean slate and no one told you what to do. Was the Lucas treatment an inspiration at all? Did you see it? Uh, you know, the, the idea of like Lucas having outlined what was going to happen in the uh, next three films. I don't know what he's referring to with the story group saying that. So I'm not sure I won't, I won't speak to that. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I was just given JJ's script. So, I mean, I talked to them about, about, you know, uh, I knew that Lucas had done this outline previous, but my understanding was that it was a, a you know, when JJ came in with, with Michael Arndt and then with Larry Kasdan, they kind of started from scratch basically. So for me anyway, I was, I, I, I know I was just given the script of the force awakens and that was kind of that along with my knowledge of the previous movies was what I was working off. Mm-hmm. Was there any pushback on killing off Luke did you have to clear that? <laughs> no, I mean, I wanted it. That's part of, I mean, all of these decisions, I want, that's big part of the reason I moved up to San Francisco and wanted to go in twice a week and talk everybody through this. I didn't want to just drop a script and surprise everyone and hold my breath that they like it. I wanted to, but I mean, the short answer is, 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 is no, it wasn't because also because I, kept them very involved in the thought process that led up to each one of these decisions, including that one. And so it wasn't like springing it on everyone. It was like, we had all kind of gone through this creative process together of, okay, this is going to be his arc in it. It's where he gets to by the end of it. Let's think about, we don't know what's going to happen in nine, but what, what has the most dramatic potential in nine. And so we were all kind of on the same page um, with it. So no, there was, there was never any kind of submitting it to the board and holding my breath. moment. There, there's a little bit, and forgive me for this, but there's a little bit of me that thinks it's kind of insane to set about making a trilogy of movies and then letting each person making those movies do whatever they want. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like knowing that there's going to be three movies and yet there's no real overall roadmap for those movies seems kind of crazy. No. Well, I, I think it's, I mean, I think it's, I think it's daring. I think it's putting a lot of faith in the, each one of the, you know, creators who are making each one of the films, but I, I don't think it's, I don't know, I guess because, um, I, I don't know. I think because I, I can just imagine because I'm about to go into it, like on this next trilogy, I'm going to come up with a whole, thing like front to start you know and front to back not front to start <laughs> uh uh but uh, so yeah i know exactly what you're talking about but at the same time i don't know when you're coming up with the whole thing at once you're still coming up with it piece by piece you know it's not mm-hmm. like you have this sudden grand revelation of the entire arc i mean even and then this is this is uh, I don't know. I was about to say, like, just to it, to some degree, Lucas did that also with the original trilogy. You know, yeah. um, uh, he had to because in his original conception, it ended with you know, uh, it, it didn't the whole thing. And I'm sure someone correct me if I get this wrong, but his original his original conception didn't the whole thing end with the Death Star, or no, it ended with the. Um, anyway, I know by blowing up the Death Star at the end of A New Hope, it kind of threw everything off. So he had to. Yeah. Which, Well, he never thought he would get to make any more of them. So he didn't really. Yeah, precisely. And so and so it it, I think 
the notion that there's some kind of immaculate conception thing that would happen if they were all conceived of at once and then everyone just stuck to that, knowing how a real creative process happens, I think that's not really reality, you know? And I think that um, the truth is that, yeah, these are being kind of felt, you know, discovered one at a time, but I think that's, there's still, it's not like we're just running willy nilly. We're still thinking very carefully about what came before and even thinking carefully, if even if not in specifics, but in terms of dramatic potential of what's going to come next. And we're, you know, we're, we're, uh, I think that the, we're, when we get to the end of the whole thing, even the way in which it is crazy and the way in which it's leading to stuff that wouldn't have come about if the whole thing had just been laid out on a whiteboard at the start, I think is really interesting. And I think it's leading to creative decisions and directions that might never have happened if anybody had just, you know, come up with an outline at the very start and we had all stuck to it. So mm. anyway, I, it, it cool. is fascinating, but I, I, I think it's, uh, I've, I'm, I, for one, am really interested by. Yeah, you know, I'm very happy that this is how it's being done for this one. I want to ask you about the the trilogy, but one other quick question: um, How did you decide to name the film, or did you decide to name the film? Um, and what do you think makes for a good Star Wars film name? Yeah, I don't know. I I, I think hit, hit me know, with some name. alternate titles, Ryan. <laughs> There were none. That's the thing that I very early before I even when I started writing the script. Actually, uh, I wrote the title page and it was The Last Jedi. That was, that was, that was it. Um, and I never had another title. And I was, um, yeah, so I, I was holding my breath throughout <laughs> all of production because I had had the title from the beginning. Every, every time, you know, I was wondering if it was going to leak or if, even if someone would guess it, I thought it was a pretty obvious title. Hmm. Um, but uh, in terms of what makes a good Star Wars title, I don't know. I'm very thankful that I. I had that one that felt like a very good one at the start because I, I can just imagine if we had had like, what do we call our band type sessions? <laughs> <I'm sure>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> trying to pick apart what makes a great star Wars title. Let's analyze the syllables in this. But in this case, I don't know if it was just a very, you know, to me, it was just something I had from the, from the beginning. So all right. Very into well, you have to you have to come up with three more of them at least now. Well, yeah. Oh, on, on that <laughs> note, Ryan, I I was thrilled to hear that you are going to be gainfully employed for the foreseeable future. Um, oh, with this, yeah, uh, what's it like? What's it like knowing that your the next decade of your life is <laughs> is uh, committed? I it's great. <laughs> I I no, it's weird. Like I I've had friends like ask me like. God, don't you just like think about it in those terms and have, just have your shoulders sag a little? Like, and I'm like, no, it's the exact opposite. I feel, <laughs> I feel like just the potential of what we what we could do with this is so exciting, and it's kind of everything I ever wanted to make movies for. You know, I think it's kind of the awesome. ultimate creative challenge, and the idea of 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 the experience we could give people with one story told over three movies and just the sky's the limit. I, I'm no, I'm, I'm just like, I'm so excited about it. Yeah. I, well, I feel you're making me excited about it. too. <laughs> yeah. Good. We, I, I, I am very, 
<laughs> I, I am very excited as well. Uh, but a part of me did wonder: Will we see another original Ryan Johnson movie? You know. Um, well, yeah, I'll, I, I am actually, and that's that's the thing. I'm still figuring out. Okay, what's the timing of these going to be? Can I can I fit something in even before we start on them? I don't know. We're working it out. I mean, in my mind, I honestly, I, and I, I appreciate that. Too. I, I, it's strange though. I don't. Um, you know, even with this one. Uh, even with the last Jedi, I, I, in my own mind, I don't have separation in my head. Like, Oh, I'll get back to doing my own movies next. Like this felt just as personal and meaningful to me as, as any of the films I've made. And I'm sure Mm. that, you know, the trilogy will as well, but having been said, I I think it'll be healthy to do non star Wars stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. I just have to figure out exactly what, you know, schedule is going to look like how to fit it in. Uh, well, I, I hope that uh, – yeah, yeah, I mean uh, some some directors do the one for them, one for me kind of thing. It sounds like what you're saying is that the Star Wars movies are one for you in some it's way. It's all for me. It's me. No, yeah. That's how I, that's how I genuinely feel. I don't, I don't know if I could ever do – one for them that's it's movies are a lot of work <laughs> it's not for you i don't know hmm. fundamentally uh, selfish person i guess uh, all right. Well, uh, Ryan, I could uh, I could spend another 90 minutes talking with you about this uh, movie. Oh, are I you just wanted me I- out. Dave, are you kicking me out? I'm not. I I, I couldn't hang out longer. I, I want to be respectful <laughs> of your time. Um, oh, this has been absolutely awesome. It has though, been Ryan. so amazing. It's so much fun, man. It's yeah. been such a good conversation. I missed you guys. Missed you too, man. Uh, Devinker, did you have any questions? I know, like, uh, I asked some of them. Oh, yeah. Any, anything else? This yeah. Is, anything, anything else? I mean, big or small, hard. There, there's so much. There's so much. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, time. Back. I guess the big one for me, though, like um, when we were talking about this during our review, I think we noticed that, you know, this movie, Star Wars in general, always had a lot of Kurosawa influences. Uh, We know Hidden Fortress and everything. This one in particular seems, I I don't know, seems like a more direct um, homage. Rashomon is in there, for instance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm wondering, like, was that something you were doing consciously? Um, Yeah. And what were the major influences for you going into this film? Uh, Yeah, for me, it was... No, it's not like I sat down and thought, how do I get more Kurosawa? And yeah. <laughs> wait, he's one of my favorite filmmakers, and I know his, I've, I know his films really well, and so I, it, it makes sense that a lot of that stuff would... And yeah, coming up with, like when I was cracking the whole Luke arc, and, and that was actually a piece that came very late in the writing. Um, mm. It was in the rewriting, actually. There was many versions of the script that didn't have that whole subplot. And when I came up with that, obviously, it was a, it was a Rashomon thing. But... Um, but no, for me, it was, uh, you know, World War II. I watched a lot of World War II movies. Um, I've, I've called out um, 12 O'Clock High a lot, uh, you know, Dam Busters. And I went back and rewatched kind of, um, uh, I went back and rewatched a bunch of World War II movies. I was also, though, I mean, honestly, I don't know. The, the influence for me was mainly Star Wars. <laughs> but just trying to just tonally to like trying to capture when I was between the, cause I absorbed those first movies basically between the ages of, you know, four and 11 and trying to capture what was fun about the movies to me. Um, that was something that was really important to me was, was that it would be fun 
especially considering some of the heavier stuff we're going to get into, they would be fun for kids to watch, not just as a, how oh, we got to get kids in there, but because that's, that's how I connected to this universe was as a kid. That was, that, that was, that's the foundation of, of why I love this stuff is, is not my adult fandom, but my kid fandom. And, um, yeah. It felt really important to try and get that sense of fun into it um, in addition to all this stuff. So for that, I was just thinking about my experience of the original Star Wars movie. Um, mm-hmm. And and then to a certain extent, yeah, honestly, I love the tone that J.J. struck in The Force Awakens. Also, I think that it's got that, la- that Larry Kasdan spark of just, you know, very light on its feet, fun and to it. And so um, – Anyway, yeah. Well, that's uh, why the movie is so special and such an emotional experience for me because it, it especially that last moment with the with the broom kid, it, it feels like what I loved about Star Wars that honestly kind of left the series for a brief period in the 90s, uh, that feeling that I could be Luke Skywalker. Anybody can. And uh, the fact that that was sort of like gifted back to me felt pretty, pretty important and powerful. Thanks, man. That's what, that's what it's all about, right? Yeah. yeah. Ryan, I got to ask you, you know, I, I know I said we were done, but I, I do want to ask you this question because I feel like, you know, <laughs> I was saying this on, yeah. um, on, our, on our podcast episode, but um, that it, it has been truly remarkable to observe your journey. I think uh, the first time we met, I was interviewing you uh, because you just made The Brothers Bloom, which I had ranked as one of my favorite films of that year. And I, I remember reading interviews with you um, talking about Brick, which I think is a film that you shot for around $500,000. So, yeah. yeah uh, so in, in the last uh, you know, decade or so, you've gone from like you know, Brick, which is an ultra-low-budget movie, to basically one of the highest-budget movies ever, or one of the highest-budget franchises ever, what were some of the biggest challenges you had to deal with when it came to working from, you know, a crew of, I don't know, 30 or 40 to a crew of thousands or, or uh, many hundreds? Um, I mean, my experience of it has been, I mean, it, it just, the bigger, and that, I guess coming in, yeah, every single time, first of all, you you make something a little bigger, you have that kind of, dry patch in the back of your throat of, Oh my God, am I going to, is this going to be a different thing? Am I going to know how to do this? And that it, it happens, you know, it happened even not making brick. Cause I had just made movies with my friends. I just shot with video cameras before that and like not professional actors and cut it together on my computer. And I was like, and now I actually have a professional crew and a real film camera. And it's like, <laughs> Oh God, is this going to be a different thing? And then you get on set and you realize, no, you're just, you're, you're, telling the story and you know the story you want to tell and you just take the camera and tell the story and then brothers bloom it was like oh my god that was you know a tiny budget movie that i did as a weird little thing and suddenly i've got millions of dollars and we're on these locations with these big actors and and is this going to be a different thing and then no you get on set and you just figure it out and do it and it's the same basic tools to the same basic ends all the way up and even including star wars um Honestly, it, 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 and I've said this elsewhere and it, it's, I really found it, this was really my experience that, um, ultimately the machinery and the size of the budget and, um, it, it, it kind of doesn't, not that it doesn't matter. It obviously has effects on the process, but in terms of what really matters, it doesn't matter, I guess it's, mm. it's, uh, 
it's you're still trying to do the same thing, which ultimately is connect with the audience and and um, you know making the scenes work with the actors is the only thing that really does that. And doesn't matter, you know, how many cameras you have, how many cranes, how many whatevers. That's what you're chasing, and 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 whether it's with a short or uh, with a Star Wars movie, um, you know, it's the same same basic tools to the same basic ends. Well, you make it look easy, Ryan. Uh, Brian Davids in the chat room says, Ryan was like that underground band you know about and didn't want the mainstream to find out about. I feel, the, I feel the same way. I mean, it's really upsetting that we need to share you with the world now, Ryan. Uh, but, but, you know, that's the way life goes sometimes. If you love something, set it free, right? Um, Never set me free, Dave. <laughs> keep me in your heart-shaped box forever. Please, I, will, I will do the best I can, Ryan. Um, well, it's been an absolute pleasure pleasure talking to you ryan and uh i would say where you can find more of your work on the internet but everyone already knows (laughs) it's in theaters uh literally everywhere literally everywhere as contractually obligated by disney um you can find (laughs) you can find ryan on twitter as well uh and find more episodes of this podcast at slash filmcast.com if you like content like this as well as ryan you know I, i don't think you're aware of this but we did four hours worth of podcasting about the last jedi um, so find more discussion of that if uh, this didn't give you enough. But Ryan, uh, again, congratulations on all your success and thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time on the Slash Filmcast. We watch the